I'm Sonia Morton Firth and you're watching the Sonia Morton Firth Show. Today my guest is Special Force veteran Jem Hills. At the age of 21, Jem volunteered for one of the world's elite and secretive Special Force units. He served 20 years and was involved with covert operations and active conflict around the world involving terrorism and weapons of mass destruction. After the military, he was the head of security for the Prince of Brunei. Now Jem speaks on stage and coaches teams about resilience and overcoming fear. Jem, thank you so much for being a guest on my show today. Well, thank you for the invitation to come. Jem, tell me about your journey um, before you got to the Special Forces. What, I mean, what was it about wanting to, to go into the Special Forces? What, what sort of triggered that? Um, I think with a lot of people, when you, you look at people who've got to really great places or they've had a, a certain, um, they've, they've got to a, an amazing place or they've achieved great things, there's probably something that's pushed them, mm. something that was sort of difficult in their early years. And for me, um, it was a very dark place. And my parents divorced when I was about seven. Um, it, I, I didn't deal with it well. And I became insular. Um, my father moved you know, quite a long way off. And I became withdrawn a little bit. Um, but we moved and um, you, you move house, you know, different parts of the town, uh, not too far away. But I acquired a bully. And, and it was like over several years at that stage, um, systemic or the continued bullying and it wasn't just one there was several and I didn't so, know. So you were the victim of I was bullying, a victim and, and and I don't think the guy actually realized that he he didn't wake up one morning and say I'm going to be a bully it was just mm. taking advantage and that's what how bullying starts you, bullies take advantage of people that can't answer back and that's the big thing is when you're being bullied you think you'll make matters worse if you tell somebody about it so you take it and you take it and I didn't know how to deal with it um, and that's and when I look back now, that was what was program, programming my hard drive. And, and I lost all my self-confidence, I lost my self-belief, and worst of all, I lost my self-worth. So I, I had no value, um, which is a really bad place to be for, for any Completely. kid, well, anybody, yeah. Well, anybody but the child particularly. Yeah, yeah. But I was fortunate. Something happened. When you look back, and when I started to, to speak, I look back at life-changing moments, and, and one of those, I found dance. Dance. dance, so I yeah, dance, okay. And it was dance, um, <clears throat> but it was a specific dance. We went into a youth club one night, and you know, we went in there looking for girls. I was you know, 13 to 14 year, years old, but it was these guys doing this amazing athletic dance to this amazing black soul music, and I was like, wow, I, I want to be involved, but I had no confidence. Um, so I went home, and I, I got hold of some of this music, and I practiced, and I got a little bit better. But we, a friend invited me to a proper Northern Soul. This was Northern Soul. And uh, we, we went to this Northern Soul event. And halfway through the evening, they announced a Northern Soul dance competition. I'd never been in a dance competition before, but everybody seemed to get up and were involved in it. And I was like, well, it's dark. Nobody's going to see me, so it doesn't matter. So I entered, along with pretty much 99%. Wow, wow. Everybody was there. Um, but during that dance, something, during that that time something really changed and I could see the judges walking around and just tapping people on the shoulder and asking them to sit down and the space around me started to grow 
and it got bigger. And you're in a zone when you're dancing, and you sort of get in there, and you're like, wow, and you started to, to do my stuff. Um, but then I got a tap on the shoulder, and I was told, you know, you're rubbish, you can sit down. Um, but I wanted more of that feeling. For that two minutes, I really, for the first time ever, started to believe I was good at something. Wow. And I'd not known that feeling yeah. before. And I wanted more of it. So I, I found out where more dance, Northern Soul dance competitions were. I went back to my room. I'd watched the guys that were good, and I'd practice, and I'd copy, and I'd, I'd mimic what they were doing. And my dancing got better, and I, I got into the top 20 of these competitions and in the top 10 and somehow managed to win a couple of these dance competitions. And you can imagine what that did for my confidence. You know, it, it started to grow, and I, I it just became a different person. Um, so that was the start of my confidence growing. And then in the back of my schooling wasn't still going very well. I still didn't yeah. have the academic side. And a friend of mine, <clears throat> Paul, he, he, he pulled out this poster in the back of geography. We should have been working, but we got this poster out. And it was amazing. It was all these guys doing these different things. And um, to be fair, there was one picture in the middle, and there was four guys on a beach with a beer. And just underneath it, it said, in 1973, the Marines took a holiday. And I was like, Paul, who are these guys? And he said, they're the Royal Marines, Jim. I'm like, how do you join? He went, oh, it's... <laughs> and he, and so they... Just from guys on a beach having a beer. How yeah, well it, well, it was all the other stuff. <laughs> yeah. and I mean, it was just, I'd never flown before, never been in an aircraft, but they, it was a team. These guys were in a team, part of this organisation, and it was a whole visual impact of just this one poster. And I was like, Paul, how, how, how do you join? And he went, Jim, it's easy. I've just signed up. So how do you do that? He told me, so I jumped on a bus and I, I went to the careers office and I said, I'd like to join the Royal Marines. And it's easy to apply to join the Royal Marines, so I did. Um, and several months later, I um, was called up for Royal Marine training. And that pretty much changed my life. I mean, because it, it's the whole discipline, it's, it's joining an organisation, you're talking about, you know, 49 of us turned up on this course. Um, very apprehensive and you're taught a lot through it's 36 weeks probably the longest military training mm. um, but you talk about teamwork you talk about you know sort of bonding together and being part of the, a group going forwards and you achieve things they're pushing you further at that stage I was you know, 17 years old and I was being pushed further than I'd been pushed before but you suddenly start to to complete their tasks Everybody else has done it, but it, for me, it's the first time I'd ever done those physical tasks. And 36 weeks later, I passed out. The great thing for me was Royal Marine training is designed to make you pass, not make you fail, as long as you stick with it and you just give it what's necessary. So that was the Royal Marines. How did you then go from the Royal Marines sorry, to the Special Forces? Because that's one of the most elite, secretive as I understand, um, forces out there. Going back to that day when I went into the careers office, the guy asked me a question right at the end that I wasn't expecting. And he said, what are you going to do when you pass out as a Royal Marine? And I hadn't thought that far. I didn't even think, I didn't know what you could do as a Royal Marine. Um, and he said, and he could see the blank look on my face. Mm. And he said, well, you could be a physical training instructor. You could be a weapons instructor, a driver. Um, a climber, there's all these different trades that you can have. Mm. And looking back to that poster, 
on that poster there was one frogman putting a mine on the side of a ship. And I just went, oh, <clears throat> I'd like to be one of those frogman types. And he laughed at me. And <laughs> he went, you want to join the special boat service? I went, yeah. And when I look back at that moment, he was laughing at me because in his mind, he was looking at this little you know, unphysical runt from school, you know, 16 years old, thinking there's no way that this guy is ever going to get to the special boat service. That was in his mind. He didn't know what was going on in my mind, so he had no idea. So I, I, I talk about this quite a lot. Never let anybody steal your dreams because people don't know how strong you are inside and what your determination is to go on and achieve That's other things. That's lovely. That's absolutely so, lovely. So that was the first point. And probably in the Royal Marines, we know the special boat service exists. But as you say, they're a secret organisation and they're always over there somewhere. You never see them. They're undercover. Yeah. Um, but on one particular, I, when I finished Royal Marine training, I joined 4-5 Commando, which is the Arctic um, Warfare Commando. They teach you how to survive down to minus 35. They teach you how to ski and live <clears> in the <throat> Arctic. And, and I, I did that. I hadn't realised at that time that was probably my apprenticeship. The training that we did to go across to Norway to do this Arctic training was intense. It was all done in Scotland, up in the mountains. Extremely physical, but really good if you want to go to those extremes. Mm. And so three years later, we happened to be on exercise and these four civilians skied into our position. Um, they were good skiers, I thought they were ski instructors, and they skied off and then the rumours started to spread that they were special boat service. I was like, wow, they're, they're, that's a, they're the guys that I wanted to be and join. And I went up to my troop sergeant and I said, I said, hey, I said, look, are they special boat service? And he said, yeah, he said, did you want to join? And instead of laughing at me like this guy had laughed at yeah. me before, he said, look, if you're serious, then we'll sit down and I'll help you. You, know, you, need to, you need to grow your vision. You need to set some goals. And suddenly I found myself a mentor that actually sat down because there wasn't, we didn't have the internet then, there wasn't an idiot's guide to joining special forces. Mm. It was just, so that, that's, we sat down and we put some big goals in place. And I started to train a lot harder because there wasn't an outline of what you had to do. You just knew you had to be extremely fit. You and had to be. Was there any point along that sort of vision and those goals where you had a low point and thought, God, I'm never going to do this. Maybe I should just give up. Well, you didn't know because it, you wouldn't. I didn't want to give up because I didn't know. You didn't know how far you could push yourself. And I think that was a big challenge to me. It's like, let's give it a go because you never know how far you can push yourself and there just might be a chance here that I can complete you know, the Special Forces training. Now, I know you can't talk about individual operations, etc., but you must have seen some, you must have had some brutal moments, some real low points. Can you talk about the feelings that you had or how that shaped you at the time or how that shaped you maybe now? Absolutely, I mean, there's, there's a load of lessons. <clears throat> I mean, the great thing, I'm very fortunate 20 years in special forces, you see a lot, you deal with a lot. And you were in combat, you were in, in conflict situations, I guess. Yes. Um, and now, sort of many years later, it's all those experiences of those times 
that I can take into companies and I can help companies with leadership thinking correctly under pressure. It, it's those difficult times when we need to have that understanding. And I think one of the takeaways, if you ever see, if you're ever talking to special forces people, they're very calm. They're yeah, I, I can feel the energy. I can feel how calm you are. You're, yeah. Quite often, people think I'm, I'm too too laid back to be special forces, but you see that a lot. You you see, there's a the steely eyed look, but they very rarely do they get excited because they take life pretty slowly because they've been through a lot. And I think it's looking at those situations and understanding those situations, and then. A lot of those skills that you learn within special forces are so much transferable to business mm. because that's what businesses want to know. Why would guys put their lives on the line? Yeah, not to help just their, their comrades, but the people they've never met. If you go into a, 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 a counter-terrorist situation, those guys have never met the people they're going to save the lives yeah. of. Yeah. And they're willing to do that because they have this amazing esprit de corps. They have this I culture. I'm completely amazing. I so need it gives our life for the And if you could bottle country. that and sell that to companies, it would be gold dust. Because what what dro what drove you to do that? I mean, was this? Uh, you know, you talked about the beginnings of it, but you know, you're, you're putting your own life at danger for somebody else's life. Who who you, you said you, you you don't know these people? How did you? sort of continue knowing you, you're putting your own life at danger? What was I don't think, you, you don't actually think about it at the time. Um, you look at, you know, whether it's business, you've got a new contract, you've got a, a new organisation, might, it might be a takeover, you, you, you have to do so many different things to put that together. Project management, that's all it is, and it's looking at that in a different way. It's, you know, we call it reconnaissance, but that's gathering, gathering intelligence, and it's... Um, if you want to do a takeover of a company, you want to know as much about that company before you get involved with it, so you do your due diligence on that company, and that's mm. what we would do. We would plan intensely, and not only plan for the success, we would always plan for a possible failure, plan B, what happens if it goes wrong. So you've got those incidents, and in business, it's, it's, it's your bottom line. If something goes wrong and you Worst make the, case scenario, absolutely, guess, yeah. and you make the, the bad decision at the wrong time, you could have lost an awful lot of money. So it's it's taking that and, and allowing people, you know, talking to, to CEOs and people that are in that position, and sometimes just getting them to step back like we would. You know, when a situation gets too hot, you know, when you hear a crack and thump of enemy fire coming in, your heart goes, the adrenaline goes up. It's the same in business. You know, you're getting close to a deal and the adrenaline kicks in. So it's understanding that... And making right, the right decisions at that moment. It needs, and it's crucial, yeah. yeah, And it is. And, and adrenaline takes over to a little bit. And it's, you need to put yourself in those positions on a regular basis so you can... I, I talk to people about pu public speaking. It doesn't matter who you are. Whenever you stand up to deliver something, mm. your heart will go. Yeah, You'll know that feeling. Yes, yeah. yes absolutely. It doesn't matter because you, you are putting yourself in the firing line. You're putting yourself up there and it is you and the audience. Um, but the more you do that, the more you can control that adrenaline. And yeah. I think that's why in Special Forces we, we push the limits. Our training, one of the, you asked ask me about bad things. I've lost more friends in training than they have in operations. because In the, in the actual training themselves. In, in, in the training, because wow. in, in that time, you, it needs to be realistic. And you do intense training um, that is on the line. 
there's no way, you know, health and safety is a big part of what we do now and, and every accident is covered and looked at and investigated as it should be. But we still have to make that training as, not as risky, but as realistic as possible. Talking about training, I have to ask you this question. You were involved in an, in an, incident, an accident, a near-death accident, where your parachute didn't open. Talk me through that situation and what, what was going through your, your mind at the time and what actually happened. Um, parachuting is, is one of the things that we do. It's a means of getting us in um, to behind enemy lines. But it, it, it's, we do a lot of training. We normally jump at a, a reasonable height, but on this day, the, the lowest height you can jump is 800 feet. And we were in a seven-man stick, and we, we jumped out of the aircraft. Um, I was number six in that seven-man stick. And you fall probably 200 feet before you, and your parachute deploys. So that's 800 feet. I'm now at 600 feet, and then start to spin. So something had gone wrong. I wasn't quite too sure, but there's a drill for that. The military are really good about teaching you drills. So your the, first parachute hadn't opened. Well, I hadn't know. I, I didn't know until... <clears throat> until the drill was to grab my lift webs and pull them apart because yes. I started to spin. So I was like just trying to recorrect myself. But as I came to grab this lift web, it had pulled out of my cake well. And all I could see was it just going up into the canopy of my parachute. And at that stage, I realized that my main canopy was a complete malfunction. And my heart started to go. I'd never been in that position. We, we trained for it, but I'd never actually had to pull my reserve. But there's a drill. And that drill was to pull your reserve. It's, it's always here whenever we parachute. Um, so I grabbed the big red handle and I pulled it. So I'm now 600, 500, 400 feet by the time that should have deployed. And at that stage, I'd been told that it would bounce out. It's on a big spring. It, it propels out and then it just blossoms and takes over from your main canopy. But it wasn't doing that. And I suddenly had this lump of sheet in front of me and I then said right there's a drill for this what was that what was that last drill flap it like your mother's sheet flap it like your mother's sheet so I'm now at 300 feet 200 feet trying to flap this sheet and um and it didn't work and at that stage my main canopy had gone my reserve parachute wasn't coming and I got ground rush and the ground, it's the ground rush, my speed is picking up, I'm doing probably 120 miles an hour, and it got dark and I just see the ground coming in at me, and at that stage, I thought I was gonna die, and seriously thought I was gonna die, so. What, and what went through your mind at that point, thinking you're just about to die? I started thinking about my kids, and, and it was, you know, in social forces we spend quite a bit of time away, and it was just, I wish I could have spent more time with my kids. Mm. Because that's it, you know, we don't get a second chance. And that was me, life is over. And with that, I hit the ground. And I opened my eyes. Did you feel pain? No I pain, mean, no pain. I'm just pain. lying on the ground, no pain. Open my eyes and it's bright blue. And I'm like, um, am I in heaven? You know, yeah. Am I dead? And then your brain starts to kick in and it starts giving the negativity. And it's like, oh, you're alive, but you've broken every bone in your body. You'll never walk again. And I'm like, oh, no. And you start to think, and I started to move my head. Um, but 
I won't go into too many of the details about mm. it, but I managed to survive it. Um, I did break my back. Um, there was a group of guys that parachuted in the first stick. We were in the second stick. And um, along with, we have this thing called military humour. And as soon as they, they ran across to me and they were giving me a hard time, um, which is what we do to each other in similar situations. Um, but basically, 50 metres, somewhere between 50, 150 metres from me hitting the ground, a gust of wind just got into my reserve chute and it just blossomed a little, which took the impact out of my fall. So that meant I, I, there's no way I'd have survived you know, main canopy and a um, reserve parachute malfunction. Um, so something just in time gave me a luff, enough lift. I mean, I still hit the ground hard. Um, I covered it up for a little while. It's difficult to do stuff like that in the military. But um, uh, about a year later, I walked into my medical officer's um, room and I said I'd like an MRI scan and he's like Jim why I said oh parachute accident he's like Jim we haven't been parachuting for a while I went no it's it was a few months ago I had an MRI scan and I broke my back and I had a lower compressed spine but that's a miracle pretty much I mean it's there's a reason you're alive today um have you looked into that and have you thought about what why am I here I mean it's such a fraction that you, sh you should really be dead. But there's a lot of people in that position, and I think in, in special forces, there's, mm. there's other instances like that. That's the type of work life that we lead in special forces. But I think for many years, I was very fortunate. I've seen some amazing inspirational speakers, and I love it when you've got a good story um, and you see somebody who's come from you know, down there yeah, and, and they've the got, yeah, yeah. And, and I've just loved that. But I've always known there's a bit of a story inside. But I didn't know how to get that out. And, and I didn't know what good I could do with it. And, and it wasn't until um, my son, um, my youngest son, uh, age 17, suffered with a brain tumour. Um, drastic. Absolutely mm. a really dreadful moment. And... Um, he had a, a seven-hour operation, but they couldn't remove all of the brain tumour. And he, uh, we had um, some serious moments during that operation. In fact, um, at one stage I walked into a church and asked to do a deal, um, as he would. You know, yeah, you know, of course. And, um, and all I wanted was two years with him. Um, and... Ten years later, um, we had another operation, or he had another operation. It's him, basically. It's, uh, and he had 100% um, removal. Age 30, he started his professional rugby career. Wow. And the last two years he's played. And this is an amazing guy <clears throat> who has another amazing story. And again, those lessons, he's got an amazing attitude to life. And I think what is he, this attitude that we're talking about here? It's a bit of a positive attitude. I mean, it's, it's, I now believe that there is a purpose, and I do. My, my purpose is to pass those experiences on. And we all have negative times. Course, Doesn't matter who yeah. we are. There's a, a negative time. I, 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 and I will go it's down. It's our mind that makes it even worse or more negative than that. Actually, absolutely. Um, for me, it's I need to do something physical. That gives the, 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 the adrenaline back mm. into the system, the good stuff. And so when I'm feeling a little bit like that, but I've also 
got other techniques that I've found doing my time in special forces that I can use. And they're the, the, the nuggets I can take into companies and show them about how you remain focused, because we get all this... And how do you, So if there were any little tips or techniques that, that you could give now, if someone is in a low moment, what, 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 what would those be? If there's any... <clears throat> find your passion. Yeah, if, if find something that is you want to do. You know, list a load of stuff down and, 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 and do a, a, a little chart. These are the things I may be able to achieve. But the things you passion, I totally believe that we should all find the passion in our life. And it's, it's about following your passion. And so many people, they go to work and, you know, five days a week, 52 weeks a year, they're doing a job they don't like. I've never been in that position. You know, find something you want to do. And, and yes, we all need money, we, we, but we need to have a purpose. We need to have that, that, that feeling yeah, that we're doing absolutely. something. That, and to give us that achievement, we, we're... The human being, we're tribal and we want to have those achievements. So if we can find those, and that's what I do with my coaching, is, is talk to people and actually get them to delve into themselves to find out what they're passionate about. And do, are they really happy where they are or can they achieve more? In the forces, you tend to have a, a big stick and you, you chase people, but in special forces, you don't. You, you inspire people to do things. And that's what I that's want to do. Interesting. So in the special forces, they actually inspire you rather. You've got than to be. Take otherwise, otherwise you wouldn't be there. It's like every every person has a purpose to be in that organisation, so they want to be there. Where's that come from? It's that challenge within to be the best that we can be. And I talk, that's what I talk about when in my talks. I talk about how can we all become the best that we can be. Don't look left or right. It's, it's in here. You. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. There's a word resilience. It's been bandied about a lot uh, lately. What does resilience mean to you? We all go down and it's like you, you, you're on a roller coaster. And I think resilience is, is looking at it when you're down and taking the positives about where you are at that point. And it's you fall forwards and you don't fall back. You learn lessons from when you're down or what's if something things will always go wrong, but it's like looking at that, was that meant to be? How can I take something that's good out of that and help me go forward with it? Yeah. Because it's just really important. I, to me, that's what resilience is, is how you... you know, Bounce back. Absolutely. Or reframe it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Reframe it is a good, really good you know, sort of word. It, it, it's, it's, it's putting it into a different perspective um, and making it a positive out of that negative. Yeah, because all, we, we all see our own perspectives and it's quite tunnel vision and it's not till you open up and look at other perspectives, I think then you can really reframe an event or Absolutely. a situation. Absolutely, yeah. Jem, what is it that you're doing now? Um, I love speaking to groups of people and I know I'm not going to change or make major differences in somebody's life, but if we look at Clive Woodward and the England rugby team, um, all he wanted to do was make that 1%. So if I can just help somebody or inspire somebody to look at their life differently, do something and achieve something more, then that's what I want to That's what I love doing. And I love speaking to audiences about those experiences that, that I've been through. We do get a second chance. The parachute accident, absolutely. Absolutely. Chance. Yeah, that was me. But a lot of people have had similar incidents mm. like that. And so it's... And coaching, whether it's you know, to a large audience or it's to a one-to-one, -one, it's getting into their 
their, their mind, their psyche, for them to look at themselves and go, yeah, I can achieve more. I, I want to achieve more. And you're doing a lot with children and charity work as I, well. I, tell me how, about the charity work that you're doing. Because of, because <coughs> of my son, I got involved with an amazing charity called Teens Unite. Mm. And they asked me to speak uh, at their Discover You Day. Um, and it's a day, Teens United is 13 to 23 year olds with cancer, an amazing charity that look after some, some difficult children that are in difficult places. And I was like, I don't know if I can speak to these kids. But it's about inspiring them to find a passion. Yeah, they may have the, the big C word, but it's like, don't end it here just because of that. There's a possibility that, that there's other things. And if you can find the positive, that you can still go on and do, you know, the positive things and the, find the passion that you want to do something that you perhaps haven't dared to do. So we help them find that passion and do the things that they've never dreamt of doing before. And so that was the first time I spoke you know, to this uh, group of people. And since then, I've spoken to many different charities because I, I love helping people that have had problems. Um, I love going into schools. Schools don't have too many role models anymore. Mm. So I think my story helps with kids and I was never given any good career training. I mean, I did end up in the Royal Marines. But if I can give some advice, I've been in business for 18 years. So I've got that added dynamic that I can bring into the, the schools and the kids and their career paths to help them choose what's right for them and hopefully find a bit of passion within them that they can go on and you know, achieve great things Jem, this has been fantastic. Um, we're coming up to the end of the show now, but I'd like to ask you my final question that I ask all my guests, and that's if you were to write a message in a bottle that's going to be found for future generations, what would that message be? Pretty much similar to what I've just said, is to go and find your fashion. Live the life you want to live and never give up in pursuing it. Jem, thank you so much for being a guest on my show. Thank, thank you. you. Hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, there's a new interview out every Monday. So hit subscribe and like, and you'll get it straight into your inbox.